0: Let me ask you if you'd turn with me this evening to the prophecy of Isaiah. I want to speak from chapter 12, but I want us to read chapter 11 and chapter 12 together. These are very brief chapters. But Isaiah 11 beginning in verse 1. There shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, and shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness shall he judge the poor, and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. And righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins, and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid. The calf and the young lion shall and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. And the cow and the bear shall feed their young ones, shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. And the sucking child shall play in the hole of the asp. And the weaned child shall put his hand in the cockatrice's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse which shall stand for an ensign of the people. To which shall the Gentiles seek. And his rest shall be glorious." And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again the second time to recover the remnant of his people which shall be left from Assyria and from Egypt and from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam and from Shinar, from Hamath and from the islands of the sea. And he shall set up an ensign for the nations and shall assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah in the four corners of the earth. The envy also of Ephraim shall depart. And the adversaries of Judah shall be cut off. Ephraim shall not envy Judah, and Judah shall not vex Ephraim. But they shall fly upon the shoulders of the Philistines toward the west. They shall spoil them of the east together. They shall lay their hand upon Edom and Moab, and the children of Ammon shall obey them. And the Lord shall utterly destroy the tongue of the Egyptian sea. With His mighty wind shall He shake His hand over the river, and shall smite in it the seven streams." And make men go over dry shod. There shall be a highway for the remnant of his people which shall be left from Assyria. Like as it was to Israel in the day that he came up out of the land of Egypt. And in that day thou shalt say, O Lord, I will praise thee. Though thou wast angry with me and thine anger is turned away. And thou comfortest me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also has become my salvation. Therefore with joy shall ye draw water out of the wells of salvation. And in that day shall ye say, Praise the Lord. Call upon His name. Declare His doings among the people. Make mention that His name is exalted. Sing unto the Lord. For he hath done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. Cry out and shout, thou inhabitant of Zion. For great is the Holy One of Israel in the midst of thee. Amen. Trust the Lord will add his blessing to the reading of his inspired word. Let's do unite our hearts together. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we tonight have enjoyed singing praises to a God who is worthy. We look forward to that day in which we'll praise you with an unsinning heart. Lord, tonight we come and we have set before us emblems that will remind us of the means of the forgiveness of sins and of the very ground upon which you will Finally, conform us into the image of your dear Son. Help us tonight. Lord, still us. There are things, certainly in all of our lives, thoughts, our obligations, pressures, battles, blessings, so many things that can easily distract. Free us from them. Let us not be mindful of tomorrow's duties, as it were, but let us in this day rejoice in eternity's realities. And so draw near. Help us by your Spirit. We pray it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. As I said, I want to focus our attention tonight on chapter 12 of Isaiah that we've read together. But I want to step back for a moment and put at least a little bit of its context before us. I'm preaching in Romans right now. It's a series. I'm pretty far into the ministry before doing a series in Romans, but maybe that's the best way it should be. I had always thought, though, for several years about doing a series in Romans, not just straight through like we're doing, but to do a particular series on Paul's usage of Isaiah in Romans because you've noticed I'm sure already and will as we go forward that Romans is full of Isaiah. It's only Psalms that is quoted in the New Testament more than the prophecy of Isaiah. Isaiah is the pinnacle of Old Testament revelation. It's a remarkable book. I have some commentary, some very recently uh, composed that. The men are overwhelmed as one had spent 30 years. He was asked to do a, a small volume on Isaiah in the Tyndale Old Testament series. 30 years later, he produced it. In the meantime, he produced a quite large commentary on Isaiah in the process. But the themes, the beauty of the language, the organization, though in some places hard to find, yet powerfully present. When you think of this prophet who's called upon to minister in, Isaiah, or in Jerusalem and we see the chronicling of the kings under whose reigns he prophesied. You see the history and the degradation of the nation through those reigns. The utter failure of Israel and Judah and Jerusalem itself. That's where Isaiah opens. The wounds, the bruises, the putrefying sores. It closes with the new Jerusalem, the new heavens, and the new earth. Isaiah takes us on a journey to find that servant of the Lord. And in some cases, it was to be Israel that was a servant, and yet Israel and her kings failed. And you think of the line of Jesse, the rod of David in this time what disappointments what failures unbelief sin what would come of that line but you see we follow the prophet through the failure of israel as is god's servant but another servant would come that tree cut down would have a branch A root that would shine forth. A true king would come. And of course, it's all the story of Christ. And of course, that's what Paul took as he went to the synagogues, opening and alleging what Israel's Messiah was truly to be and to do. It's no wonder Romans is full of Isaiah. Well, chapter 12 brings the first section of the prophecy to a close. You come to chapter 13, you start reading of the burden of such and such a nation for a season through the prophecy. But chapter 12 is a song, and I trust you've seen here, as we'll comment in a moment, great parallels to a previous song in Scripture and a song that we find again at the very closing pages of Scripture. This is an echo of the, as it said in Revelation, the song of Moses and of the Lamb. And when we read chapter 11, because chapter 12 is the hymn of praise that is given after the wonderful prophecy of chapter 11, and we won't wrestle through all the millennial perspectives and the literalness and figurativeness of some of the language, but Isaiah is speaking of that coming day—a day that's described here as a second exodus of God's people being gathered from every tribe and tongue and kindred, and the waters parting and them going over dry shod of the remnant of His people from all over the world. Brought into the kingdom in that day. Well, it's in chapter 12 as this hymn of praise comes to culmination after this predicted day. That we see the refrain, the praises of God's people. The opening chapters that culminate in chapter 11 have spoken of sin and of wrath but they've also spoken of salvation and of deliverance. The two stanzas in the song each opens with the phrase in that day, of course, echoing the day of chapter 11. There's a third verse that's really an interlude between the two stanzas of the song. And it's interesting as you read through the stanzas that the opening stanza, verses 1 and 2, are in the singular. And it's not so much the isolated Christian that we should see here, but it's, it's the individual within the redeemed body. And then when we come to the second stanza, it's in the plural. That whole body itself rendering corporate praise to its God and Deliverer. But I want to just look at this chapter tonight briefly as we come and prepare our hearts to come to the table. Again in verse or chapter 12. in that day thou shalt say, O Lord, I will praise thee. Though thou wast angry with me, thine anger is turned away and thou comfortest me. Here is, we don't like to use the word, but carefully introduce it at times. Here's a gospel paradox Here's a gospel irony. That the one that was angry with us, the God whom we have made angry with our sin, is the only source of our comfort. It is to Him that we bring our sins. It is to Him who knows our sins that we confess our sins. And here, we see this echo of the song of Moses beginning in verse 2. Behold, God is my salvation. And you look through the sequence here of what belongs to this God, what we render to Him. Verse 2b, we see here, I will trust the exercise of faith and understanding what is involved in that faith. We're brought to understand our sin. Brought to understand our state of condemnation. Brought to understand His wrath against us. We have to be brought there. That's reality. But yet then to trust Him. To believe and take Him at His word that He will put His wrath away. That He will spend that wrath upon another and not upon us. Our hymn of praise includes an exercise of faith. I will trust. And then it says following and not be afraid. How many times both practically in our mundane daily lives And spiritually, in the most important things of all, how often is fear the great obstacle that must be overcome? The gospel dispels fear. When we trust, when we believe and take Him at His word, fear is vanquished. It's when there's a root of unbelief still that fear has a grip. That fear can remain. When we understand what he has said and promised, that he has spent his wrath upon Christ, that it will never rest upon us. Fear is gone. The comfort and assurance that abides in the heart of the believer. We tonight have emblems before us of the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus. The spotless lamb. We can trust. We can have fear banished. Understanding that because he chose to express his wrath on Christ. He will never spend it upon us. He follows on. It says here, I will trust and not be afraid, for the Lord Jehovah is my strength. For our pilgrimage, for our need, God is our strength. When you think of the omnipotence of God, well, where else could we find a better source of strength? But then we read, and my song." Joy. We emphasize it often, we've seen it highlighted in Thessalonians these late summer weeks. But the joy that flows out of understanding and believing the gospel. And when joy is absent, something else is wrong. He is my song. God himself has become my salvation. Here the individual sings and lifts gospel praise, gospel meditations. As we said, the third verse is really an interlude between the two stanzas of the song. Therefore, with joy, shall you draw water out of the wells of salvation. You think again of the inexhaustible supply. I remember being smitten with this verse many, many years ago. How often we struggle, we don't glean from that supply what we should, because we don't approach with joy. One of the most familiar Psalms. And it was gates with thanksgiving, and it was courts with praise. Therefore, with joy shall you draw water out of the wells of salvation. Joy and overcome so many other obstacles in life. You want to be different than the world? We talk about lifestyle issues, staying away from ungodliness, ungodly practices, all of that, yay and amen. But you want to be really different from the world? Be joyful. It's remarkably different from the world. But then we come to the second stanza and this is the one that is corporate praise. In that day you shall say, Praise the Lord. Call upon His name. Declare His doings among the people. Make mention that His name is exalted. Sing unto the Lord, for He hath done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. Cry out and shout, Thou inhabitant of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in the midst of Thee. Now each saved individual in this community is called together to sing praises and give thanks to the Lord. And notice the emphasis on declaring His deeds. I think one reason many of us could say in our experience, perhaps in our own hearts and in the experience in church life we've known and seen, there are many that struggle with joy and the peace that is described in this psalm and the gospel comforts, Because little has been known and little has been explored of the works of God. We talk about the details of the gospel. We minimize gospel truth down to a decision. I had the students read last week that introductory essay that J.I. Packer penned to Banner Truth's reprint to John Owen's Death of Death the treatise on the atonement. He talks in that essay about the old gospel and the new. And This is the new gospel that had been present and he's writing about in about 1959. But that the, the new gospel designed to be helpful to men and just trying to persuade men to decide for Christ, neglected the key doctrines of the faith and ultimately was not as helpful to the man as understanding those truths was helpful to understand that I don't in my fallen, corrupt, depraved nature even have the ability to repent and believe the gospel I must rely on him to grant that ability we can't preach that then people will be so discouraged they won't come Do you ever think that people understanding that condition could be helpful to them in getting to Christ? Crying out to Him for grace and for help? Deeds. When Isaiah will come to that pinnacle of his prophecy and present the suffering servant, we can read and speak of God's deeds, the creation of the world. We can read of his various deeds of deliverance for the nation of Israel. They were real victories, real deliverances, a real exodus from Egypt. But if we miss what all those pointed to, if we miss the necessity of a true king, if we miss the necessity and the the granting of the true servant, then we really miss the real works of God. The marvel. And I think, I remember, first time, one of the first times I was introduced to that hymn that we so often sing, number 26. It's 26 in the red, 26 in the blue. Great God of wonders. Above thine other wonders. Your grace above your other wonders shines. Remember being taken back by that. I think about that. But it's true. What do we read in Ephesians? That God, if we could say it this way, will be boasting about in eternity before principalities and powers. A redeemed people. A people that he chose to save when he wasn't obligated to do so. A people that his son happily voluntarily took into union with himself. He became their new representative, their new head and suffered wrath so that they wouldn't. We sang that old spiritual tonight, were you there? In all those points of Christ's work of redemption, we were there in Him. We can declare these deeds among the people. His glorious deeds, and then His wonderful presence. The Holy One of Israel, the close of this hymn. The Holy One of Israel... And again, remember that, again, almost paradoxical description that Isaiah is filled with, the Holy One. Holy is something that is distinct. It is completely separate. It is wholly other than everything else, than everyone else. Isaiah trembled in chapter 6 at the vision, the sight of this thrice-holy, God, But yet the title God uses of Himself in this wonderful prophecy is the Holy One of Israel. That He unites His people unto Himself and He is present in the midst of Thee. The song, this hymn, of Isaiah 12. It's not merely an emotional overflow, but it flows from an understanding of God's deeds. Of that ultimate exodus. Of delivering His people from the bondage, not of an Egyptian superpower, but the bondage of their own sinfulness and then bringing them to His presence. The glorious kingdom, the new Jerusalem, the presence of God's people there, it's all based upon Israel's Messiah, her perfect King, Jehovah's perfect suffering servant. And He has made us His own. We, with these called upon in Isaiah 12, have much for which to sing and praise. Let us joyfully praise Him tonight as we remember His deeds among the people. I'll ask you to take the blue hymn.